We're going to continue this morning in this new series for the new year called Elevate. This is the third week in the four-week series for this, this kind of idea of how we can improve our following of Jesus or what it would look like. And, and we've been talking about maybe it's not a huge change, but little change we need to make to our life that would, that would make a big difference in how we actually follow Jesus on a daily basis. We talked about uh, elevating our conversations and then elevating our expectations last week, which was an interesting conversation for sure. And now uh, this week we're going to talk about this idea of elevating our response elevating our response. And, and I'm going to put forth this idea this morning to you that everything in our lives becomes a response to what God has already done. I'm going to throw it out there, right? Like everything in our lives becomes a response to what God has already done for us. Um, and you might not agree. You might even think, well, I, I'm not even sure I believe in God, let alone believe in Jesus Christ. And therefore, I've been living my life and, and there's been no response required from me, Right? Um, but I'm, I'm reminded of the moment that a, a, a young man and a young woman find out that there's a child coming into the world. It usually comes with two words, I'm pregnant. Uh, usually those two words change everything and requires a response, <laughs> right? Some people, the response is like, awesome, and sometimes the response is like, oh, no, right? That is our beginning, and I don't want to miss that. See, sometimes we, maybe you're not like me, but we presume that we just, we always existed, that, that, that we were always here, but we were God's idea, but we were also a, a happening in someone else's life, in our parents' life, in our, our grandparents' lives, in our family's lives. We were the event, and we required a, a response. Beyond that, we celebrate at Family Bible Church the gospel of Jesus, which is this eternity-changing moment that God brought into the world in Jesus Christ. And, and it requires a response. And so then the question becomes, as followers of Jesus, how can we elevate our response uh, to his reality in our life in every way, okay? We kind of got into this last week toward the end of the message, actually, and it was I was quite accidental, but we got into this idea of how we should respond to the, to the gospel. I want to read with you this morning from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. You can turn if you want, verses 6 through 8. After we read this passage, I'm going to I invite you to leave your finger there if you want to close it or put, a, put your bullet and your engagement sheet in there or something so you have that spot marked. We're going to come back to this in a minute. But I want to read it this morning and hear the word of God with you. Romans 5, 6 through 8. It's on page 785 if you're using one of our Bibles. This is what Paul writes to the church in Rome. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that thought is what we're going to really spend time on today. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for you and for me. We're going to do what we always do. We're going to pray for God's wisdom as we enter into uh, some time in his word this morning. Please pray with me if you would. 
Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you this morning. We are gathered here in your name to seek your wisdom. We pray, Father, that we would be attentive to your Holy Spirit's leading, that we would be listening with our whole selves, that we would be turning our attention toward you. Father, we've come from busy lives and maybe chaotic situations or things that are just buzzing in our head. We pray that in every way we can, that we would calm those things and we would listen to your quiet voice in our lives. May we give this next few minutes to you to work with us, to teach us, and to change us. We thank you so much for the chance that we have to be with you, to learn from you, and to have you as Savior and Lord. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this idea, I've been trying to take these simple ideas in Scripture, and this idea that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. I wanted to expound a little bit before we kind of get into, you know, the application of how we can better respond to the gospel in our lives. Um, I'm going to read uh, from 1 Timothy. Like I said, make sure you keep your mark there. We're going back to Romans today, but we're going to do most of the work in Romans. But I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want to read this rather shocking bit of scripture to you. Paul writing to uh, Timothy to encourage him in his faith, encourage him in his, his, his role in the church. And he says, Paul says this, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come, and to, come to a knowledge of the truth. This, what, what's talking about this was this idea that God's desire is that all men and women, by the way, it means people, would be saved. That all people would be saved. This is what God desires. And here, you'll see even in Timothy, there, Paul's writing to the church and he's saying, this is a response to the gospel. I, I hope that you're praying for leaders. And we can get off on that tangent. But, and that's what the text is really about. But in the middle of this idea of what our response is to the gospel, Paul says that it's God's will that all men and women would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All right? That that's, that's, that's his desire for us. And so I, I was struck by that because uh, in my own life, uh, as I considered, I, I don't know, I just didn't think that that was, I was never sure if that's really what God desired, that all would be saved. Um, you heard the scripture from Romans. It says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us and we were lost in our sin. But here it says clearly, clearly, that God's desire is that we would all be saved. And I, I just wonder if that's, if, if, if that's what his desire is and he gave us Jesus' his son, then why isn't, why isn't everyone saved? What's, what's the response requirement from us? What does it look like uh, to respond to the gospel. So, to do a little backfill on this, and you've heard this before, but I want us to remember the scriptures this morning that tell the amazing story about the incarnation of Jesus. We just went through Christmas, but I want us to remember the amazing story of Jesus coming to earth. I don't think we can fully grasp the magnitude of what it meant. 
you go, well, how much did God want all men to be saved? And the Bible answers, he wanted it so much, he sent himself, his son, to earth to pay the price for all of our sins. That's what we believe is the gospel. I want to read for you the first few verses from the gospel of John. And it reads like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made, and in Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, but the darkness did not understand it. There came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only to testify to the light, the true light that gives light to every man that was coming into the world. He was in the world. All of the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. And he came to that which was his own, but his own would not, did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born of natural descent, not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but children who were born of God. This word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the inbreaking of Jesus himself, the Messiah who's come to earth. And like I said already, it's this eternity shifting, changing reality in our lives. God desires that all would be saved. And so the question then, and I think to myself, I really do, like, well, so if God wants us to be saved and God sent his son to save us, what's going on? What's the problem? Why isn't everyone saved? I mean, and I don't mean like, why won't everyone be saved? Like, why right now in real time isn't everyone saved? Why isn't everyone and saved like preserved, you know, uh, completed, perfect, like saved, fully, redeemed. Why? Why not? Well, I'm going to share with you first Jesus' answers, and then we're going to expound on Jesus' answers through the, the letter to Rome that Paul wrote, okay? And so we're going to expound on this idea from, um, from Jesus himself. We're going to t- I'm going to turn, and you don't have to unless you want to. I think I have it on the screen. Yeah, I'm going to turn to the Gospel of Mark. Because Jesus, when he comes to earth and he's walking around, hanging out with people, he, he begins to say some amazing things. And this verse is going to be in Mark chapter 1, two verses, 14 and 15. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee and listened to what the word says. He proclaimed the good news of God. And here's what Jesus said the good news of God is. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And there's, the time is now, Jesus is saying. The time is upon you. And again, and we've already heard that God desired to all be saved, but here's Jesus saying, this is the time. This is the moment. This is the good news of God. The kingdom of God is near. We were doing our study this morning uh, for the, 
the story class, and we talked about how Jesus answered multiple people that way. The kingdom is very near to you. You're very close. This is the gospel of Jesus. That it's right here. The moment is here. The time is now. But then Jesus says these hard, hard words. He says, repent and believe the good news. So this forms, and I'm going to show you our blanks this morning so you can get these filled out. This forms our blanks, right? That our response to the gospel should be to repent of our sin. Repent of our sin. And we're going to expound on this in a moment. And then the second thing that Jesus says is what? Believe the good news. So there's this twofold response immediately when Jesus says, this is the time, this is the moment, this is the place. And then he immediately says, without being asked or prompted or anything, so repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. I want to share with you also a scripture that we've heard before. This is from the Gospel of Matthew. And if you, you can flip back probably one page in your Bible if you're at Mark. You don't have to turn there, but you can. And this is uh, from what's commonly called the Great Commission. And the word says this. Jesus says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, right? So go make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. That's what Jesus says to do. His final uh, word in the Gospel of Matthew, this is what the church should do. Go make disciples and teach people to obey what Jesus has said should be obeyed. Okay, and so that, that's our last one then. What do we do? What does the response look like? We repent of our sins, we believe the good news, and then we obey God's commands, right? And that's it. That's what we're going to talk about today. When we talk about that, though, it, I, I want to spend some time now unpacking that a little bit and what those steps, what those things look like in our lives. And we're gonna, I'm going to try to be really honest with you guys and not try to sugarcoat it or churchify it or nothing like that and just dig in the Scripture and see what, what the words the Bible says that we should do in response to the gospel, okay? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that he's come to be with us. All right, so now you can turn back if you want to to the book of Romans, and we're going to start in chapter 6 with this idea of repenting of our sin. Repent of our sin. You might have heard it said before, and I think it's probably the best, most succinct definition of repentance, but it means to turn away, to turn aside, to put your back, to do a 180, I've heard it said that way, but to turn away. Jesus actually didn't say repent of your sin, did he? He said repent, just to turn around and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near. We're going to start in chapter 6, verse 11. Paul says this, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's an idea of repentance. Verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your moral body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but instead offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, 
but under grace. Sometimes we can, we look at the book of Romans, and Romans is thick, we know that, right? But, and we can get overwhelmed with it, what it says. But very clearly here, Paul is saying that you, we should turn away from our sin and turn toward God. It's the same thing that Jesus was saying himself. We should repent of our sin. Paul, here he actually says to consider yourself dead to sin, right? And I told you last week, and I don't know if any of you did it, I told you last week to maybe read the opening chapters of Hebrews. The same thing this week. If you want to read something that will just, you know, rock your world, start in Romans 5 and read from Romans 5 until like Romans 8 9. There's so much in there about your life in Christ. If you know him as Savior, that, that you should just be... Um, I don't know, just blessed and challenged and encouraged by that. Uh, all, all this kind of these ideas that Paul lines out for believers to understand about the truth of the gospel of Jesus, how it's changed our life and how we should respond to it. Okay, but here Paul says, count yourself as being dead to sin. Count yourself as being dead to sin, right? Uh, there's a passage that says, um, uh, we were dead in our sin when we were saved. God saved us in that state. And now our call is to be like dead to sin, like we have no response to it. We, and, I, and Paul's going to get into, because I know some of you are here and you're like, man, I struggle. And I struggle too. So I'm, not, so I'm with you. But and Paul's going to address that issue for us in the coming, uh, coming verses. But here he says, consider yourselves dead to sin. How can I repent of my sin? Consider that it, that it doesn't exist in your world, that it doesn't, that isn't part of who you are anymore in your life. Consider yourself dead to sin. I don't know if we can, if we can do that uh, very well in our lives, especially in the moment, right? When sin is tempting us, when we're, when we're having that moment where we have a choice to make. Paul says, instead of considering yourself dead to sin, equally as important is to consider yourself alive in Christ. Count yourself as being alive in Christ, remembering the gospel, the promise of Jesus as we turn away from our sin in our lives. He is our power, and he is the one who can change us. He is the one who will help us in our time of need. Be dead to sin, but alive in Christ. In the same, it says, uh, I love this, by the way. Um, do, not, uh, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Don't let it rule over you, you know? Don't let it, you know, have dominion over you. Be the God that you serve. And you, you and I would say, well, we don't serve the God of sin. You know, we don't do that, do we? We're pretty good people, but, you know, there, there are those things we struggle with, right? That they rule over us. Some people say things like, I can't help it. I just can't help it. Don't let sin, sin rule over our mortal bodies, or Paul would say our flesh, and obey its evil desires. Isn't that interesting, by the way? There's the word obey in here. 13, don't, don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves or every part of your body to God, right? Sometimes we'll do that thing. Where we'll, how do you repent of your sin? We'll, we'll say, well, we're doing pretty good with most of this stuff. There's only those few things that I, I, I leave over in that sin department. But the rest of us, we're doing, I mean, the rest parts of us, you know what I mean? And we try to, like, delineate the things that are good and the things that are bad. I'm not too bad. I'm mostly good. There's only a couple things. 
And Paul says, no, don't, don't give over parts of your life to sin. Don't do that. He says, don't give over uh, any individual part, but instead, look, look at the word. I always love the word but in Scripture, by the way. Uh, don't offer the parts of your body to sin, and we're going to skip that little segment there, but offer yourselves to God, your whole selves to God. Offer all the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness, right? By the way, let's just cover that too. It says don't offer parts of your body as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer your whole body as an instrument of righteousness. So again, if we haven't talked already enough about this, this idea that when we repent, we stop offering over parts of our life to sin and sinful behavior, and we turn our entire being over to God, all that we have and all that we are, we put it in his court, you know? I say this to you not to go like, oh, great, so he's talking about how, you know, we got to be, per I'm, I'm just telling you that in the moment, and I don't know if you're like that, but in the moment, there's a temptation to go, it's only a few small things. It doesn't affect the rest of my life. We try to seg, you know, we try to segment ourselves. We try to be this way here and that way there, or we try to have these little secrets where we don't tell people, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you just, you try to keep yourself compartmentalized. But that's not what Paul says we should be doing. And we certainly shouldn't compartmentalize part of our life to sin and then not surrender our whole life to Christ, giving our whole selves over to God. I will say this. I actually believe that the second part of that idea of surrendering our whole self to God is what solves the problem of re repenting of our sin. You understand? You can't possibly give any part of yourself to sin if you're constantly giving your whole self to God. And in the moment in your life and in my life when we realize that there are things that we are sinning in or there are areas of our life that we have a tendency to go, I'm mostly good, but there's a one area. I'm just going to let God have, I'm going to let sin have that area and God have the rest. In that moment, we must say, no, that's the area I must give to God as well. I have to give him all of myself, everything that I have. This is the response to the gospel. Jesus said what? Repent and believe the good news. But rather, instead, offer your whole selves to God, offering all the parts of your bodies. And then check out this verse for, uh, to be used as instruments of righteousness. Instruments of righteousness. There's never the idea in Scripture that we won't be used by something. There's no neutral in Scripture. You're being used by God or you're being used in sin. And Paul in Romans lines that out and he says, don't offer yourselves as instruments of wickedness, but instead be instruments of righteousness. And you can only be an instrument of righteousness if you're surrendered to God, giving your whole self over to him, everything that you have, all that you are, offering your entire self um, over to God. Now, to, to make this a little more practical, I hope, I mean, we, we've had those experiences, haven't we? We've had those moments where we've come to the end of ourselves and we've said, oh, I'm going to give you everything, God, and you do something with this. Or in that moment of obedience where we have, where we surrender to God and he says, go do something, and we do it, and we experience the fulfilling promises of Jesus in our life, that he is with us and he is saving us and we're being used for righteousness in this life. Many of us have that experience. But, but, 
so often we have the opposite experience, don't we? Where we end up uh, not doing the things we ought to do or doing the things we ought not to do that aren't righteous in our lives. This is, I don't know, it may, may I just feel like sometimes, I don't know, it, it, it's a, a real struggle, isn't it? It's a real struggle. And by the way, not righteousness for the sake of righteousness, but righteousness at a man, as a manifestation of God's reality in our lives. That we ought to be the people who are bringing God's righteousness into the world if we know Christ. At the very least, we can turn away from our sin, right? The second thing that we talked about, Jesus said, repent and what? Believe the good news. Believe the gospel. And we talked about last week, applying the gospel as being key to our expectations in this life. That apply, we must apply the gospel. But here, we must believe the good news. I'm going to read chapter 6. We're going to continue on. We'll skip down a few verses. And starting in verse 23... You've heard this before, because the wages of sin is death, Paul writes, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have this, the full manifestation of sin is death, but the gift of Christ, the gift of God is life in Christ forever. That's our blessing. That's our gift. And now I'm going to skip down and I'm going to pick up in verse uh, 4 of chapter 7. So, my brothers... You also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to one another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Because when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so then we bore fruit for death. But now, here's the same word again, by dying to what? what what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so we're able to serve in a new way of the Spirit, and not only in the old way that was written in the code. Paul has this idea in Romans where he says, the law is good, and the law is perfect, right? But the law only makes us realize how much we fail. Our natural, Paul would say, our fleshly response to God's perfect commands is that we do the other things. We do the things we shouldn't do. So here he says, you died to the law through Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. So we have this life in Christ. We've died to the law, which leads to sin, so that we might then belong to God. We might belong to God. And then check it out. In believing the gospel, we can then serve God. Let's see. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit. Right? So all of a sudden, we've been released to serve because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That he paid the price for our sin that we could be free to serve, believing the good news. Skipping down again, chapter 7, verse 19. For what I do not, this is where Paul gets in that issue, I, was tell, I told you he's going to get here. For what 
I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil that I do not want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Paul says, all the stuff that I want to do of my flesh, and that's what he's talking about here. Sometimes I think we read that and we take that as a permission to do the things that we don't want to do and then not do the things we ought to do. And that's not what Paul's saying. He's like, in my flesh, I do the things I don't want to do in my flesh, and I don't do the things that I know I ought to do. He's still talking about this idea of being under the law when you look at it. You know what the rules are. You know what you should be doing, but you don't do it. Or you know the things you shouldn't be doing, but you do those. We have an internal sense of what we ought to be doing, but we don't do it. And Paul writes that in that verse. Actually, starting in verse 15, this is what he says. I do not understand what I do, because what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, I no longer myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. This is Paul's big problem, right? I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature or flesh. That's what Paul says in our fleshliness, our humanity. There's nothing good that lives in us right? Because I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I can't do good. I can't do any good. 19, for what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. I keep on doing it. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that is doing these things. So Paul says this, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law and my mind and making me a prisoner of the law and of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. And then this is what Paul gets this crisis. And this is what I said to you a minute ago. I said sometimes people use that verse to say, oh, well, we're just stuck. This is the way we are, right? I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. But Paul doesn't stay stuck there, and we can't do that. We can't take that out of Scripture and say, well, that's what we're supposed to be forever. Because he says this, who will then rescue me from this body of death? You see, Paul's making a point about the gospel about the power of the good news of Jesus. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And I know some of you have struggled with sin. And I know some of you, I, I mean, all of us struggle with sin, right? But I know some of you feel so stuck in your life and, and you feel like, like, like Paul. You're like, man, I keep doing things I don't want to do. I don't do things I, I know I ought to do. And you're frustrated and you're stuck there. But you never ask the question that Paul asks. He says, who then can rescue me from this prison, this body of death? Who then can save me from this, my stuckness or my brokenness or my sinfulness? And I love, good man, verse 25, Paul just turns and he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Paul says that uh, believing the good news of Jesus changes everything. Like, the reality of Jesus changes everything. 
The promises of Jesus change everything. And if you read this carefully, as you read Romans carefully, you'll see the same pattern developing that Paul talks about that we're going to cover in a moment. He, he kind of does some foreshadowing what's coming. So if it's not stuckness in your flesh, if you're not doomed to stay there, then what is, how do we move forward? How do we go on? But Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ is clearly the way that we move forward in our lives. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. See, Paul says, I know what I want to do. Verse 1 of chapter 8, Therefore, there is, now no, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. There's like a new set of rules in Jesus. There's a new standard in Jesus. And it's not about, it's not about the law as it stands. To, we have to keep it of our flesh at all. Right? Verse 3. Because what, was, what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. I want to stop just for a second. He condemned sin in sinful man in his son, Jesus. That's what Paul just said. That in the likeness of a sinful man, God condemned sin in Jesus. In order that the righteous requirements of the law can be fully met in us, right? That they're met in us through Jesus, who, cannot who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. This is the good news that we must believe. That God it manifests his Son, and that he, he, he put all the sin burden on Jesus. Everything. He put on Jesus so that we would no longer be under the law and under, under the, that, that brokenness. And I, I, I mean, under that thing that Paul says, I don't do the things I want to do and the things that I want to do, I keep on, you know, I, I, I keep on doing. I don't, you know what I'm saying? That brokenness. He says, no, in Jesus, that, that God has put all that sin and brokenness on him for us. So that what? Verse 4. So that we can live according to the Spirit, right? Now, the funny thing about all this is, most of you would probably agree with me. You go, yes, I understand, repent of my sin, right? Most of you would say, I agree with that, even though very few of us do it, and I mean me too, right? Very few of us act like we're dead to our sin. Very few of us, we kind of like it, and we don't really want to get rid of it, you know? Uh, we make excuses for it. We hang around with it and stuff. We don't throw it out. We don't act dead toward it, like dead towards sin, and, and most of us would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe the good news that God died, that Jesus died for my sins, that, that that satisfied God's requirement for righteousness, and I believe the gospel. But then that third thing, and I don't know if I give you pause, but, you know, Jesus said, teach them to obey all my commands, right? And I'm like, man, that sounds like more law, doesn't it? Like, it's going to be all the rules of Jesus now, all the things that Jesus requires of us. We must keep it. That's what it said in Matthew 28 right? Obey God's commands. Obey God's commands. Absolutely. Jesus wouldn't back away from that from, for a moment. He wouldn't back away from this idea. 
But, and we've heard it alluded to a couple times in the text, is this, that we've been set free according to the Spirit. Verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their mindset on what the nature desires, our, our flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Man, and I just want to spend a minute here and talk about this. So I'm going to, if you fill out those blanks and you wrote that down, I'm going to say that our, our, our obedience to the commands, our obedience to God's Holy Spirit in our life, right? To, to have our minds set on the things of the Holy Spirit, Look at verse 6 and what it says. The mind of a sinful man or woman is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. So, so much of our belief, even about the law, and by the way, Paul says the law is good. I mean, if you read Romans, he never says the law is evil and bad and we should throw the law out. He's like, the law was good, but we, kept, we just screwed it up. And Jesus comes, and we couldn't help but in our flesh to screw it up. And Jesus comes to be our sin offering in our flesh so that we can be free to obey the Spirit of God. So many of us act as if God's trying to keep us from the very best things in life, right? Like, why do I, why do I give parts of my body over to sin? And why don't I give my whole body over to Christ, you know? Like in my real life where I struggle, why do I want to hold on? Because I think those things that I'm clinging to are better than giving myself over completely to God and believing that he, what he has for me is far better than what I could ever have of myself. I mean, it's almost a definition of sin in the Bible, really, that we think we know better than God does on what, what we need in this life. And you hear it replete in our culture, right? We have one life. This is our life. We're going to live it how we want. We're going to do it the way we want. When I die, I'll be satisfied because I did everything my way. The problem is the Bible does not tell that story at all. The Bible says, no, the mind of a sinful person is death. And it will lead to death. And it will lead you and me to death. But the mind that is controlled by the Spirit of God is life and peace. I almost said brings life and peace, but that's not, the scripture says it is life and peace, the fullness. Verse seven, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it ever do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Look at the word, verse nine. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and this is key, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. That's key, right? If we, aren't, if we, don't, have that willing, if we don't have that willing submission to God, we should be thinking, do we know this one we call Jesus? Do we know him? Do we have him? Does he have us? He does not belong to Christ if he does not have the spirit of Christ, he or she. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. 
And again, we can take that to mean, you know, that means that I'll be raised again in the resurrection day. That means when my, my body's dead in the casket and you put me in the ground, that somehow God's going to raise my physical body from the ground. I believe that's true. I don't understand that, but I believe that's true. But I think it also means Paul's talking about this fleshliness, this brokenness, the doing the things that we don't want to do and not doing the things we, we know we ought to do. That God says that he will put the same spirit in us that he put in his son, that, that raised his son, that that spirit's going to live in us, and it will cause us to live in our flesh. To live, meaning the big L live, life, you know, our spiritual life in this broken vessel that's so full of sin. God raises us from the dead. I mean, I think he literally raises us from the dead, but I want to say, don't miss that, that he will give life to our fleshly bodies. That's what Paul says here. Through his spirit who's living in you. In you and in me if we know Christ Jesus our Savior. So our call then is to obey God's Holy Spirit, to be obedient in our life. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to our sinful nature to live according to our sinful nature any longer. For you live according to the sinful nature, you will surely die. But if, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So there's your hope, right? Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God or are children of God. This is our promise, and this is our obedience, is in Christ. I will point out to you one last thing here. It says that by the Spirit, we will put our sin to death. You see that in there? It's required. Verse 13, but if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live. That, that, is, that is the key, that this indwelling Spirit of God we use to wage war against our own sin. So we don't say, as Paul uh, said before he celebrated Christ in his testimony here, oh, we're just stuck. We can't do what we need to do. And we keep doing what we shouldn't do. But we apply God's spirit. We, we wield it against the sin in our life. And then we obey him. Obey him. I can't encourage, I've said it a couple of times, but I can't encourage it enough that this is our response uh, to the gospel. That, that this living in Jesus, this uh, turning away from our sin, this believing the gospel, the good news, is our proper response. And it's this life. Next week, we're going to unpack that then. That life in the spirit. What, how, how we can live that way and how we can live that out. This is our response. I'm going to ask you to uh, pray with me um, just for some insight and wisdom as, uh, as we continue to worship this morning. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for uh, your indwelling Holy Spirit and the power that you have given us in uh, your Son's name. We want to know you more fully, and, and sometimes we definitely sense that brokenness, that brokenness that Paul talks about, that stuckness. And, and yet sometimes we, still, we, we experience the, that gift of life and of peace that we have in you. Oh, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to surrender all of ourselves to you, to give over everything we have to you? 
to not leave little pieces of our life behind in sin and say, that's okay, it's not that much, but we would just surrender that to you. Father God, that your spirit would dwell richly in us. For, for friends here who don't think that they have something uh, of you in them, that, that they, they uh, don't have that assurance of faith that comes by your spirit's presence, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. I know you're there. I pray that you would show them this life that is the light to men in our lives, that we would respond uh, to your good news, your gospel today. Father, we thank you so much for the work that you're doing and the way you do it. We thank you for the chance we have to celebrate and to worship Jesus together. And we pray in his name. Amen.